Hi, everyone. My name's PK, and here I have Frank Martina from Melbourne himself and his wife. They have bought seven properties in under 10 years, starting from the age of 21. And in this episode, we'll sort of just go into like the nitty gritty of like maybe where they bought their biggest mistakes, why they bought in those locations, why they even started property. Was it worth it? Like everything like that. Because as I was saying to Frank before, I really feel a lot of people don't invest because they're so afraid of the unknown. And so what I did on my Facebook group was like, I posted a post that said, anyone who wants to share their property journey, whether it's successful or or not, I'm just trying to bring like raw, authentic property investor stories. Frank has nothing to sell you. He's not a buyer's agent, a course creator, a mortgage broker or anything like that. These are just real stories that don't, you don't really hear from from other places because most people that are interviewed in property circles they sort of have an agenda right including me so this is like just straight from the horse's mouth and if there's anyone that is like oh, i don't know if property is for me or i don't know how to take the next step then this episode will be super valuable welcome to the oz property investment mastery podcast my name is pk and i help busy people build passive income by buying top 5% growth and cash flow property and build a portfolio using data without wasting months doing research, spending weekends at inspection or catching flights or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents every single time. So if you're confused, lack confidence and just overwhelmed with all the information and marketing misinformation available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. Thank you so much, Frank, for, for volunteering and, and um, making time. No, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. All right. So let, let's let's start from the start. Obviously, at, at the headline level, you know, buying your first property at 21 and with your wife, seven properties before you turn uh, 30 years old, like that all sounds great, but I'm sure there's so much to unpack and like things that went wrong, things that went right. But let's just start from the start. Like I know I also bought my first property at 21 um, and I thought I was kind of ahead of the game, but apparently not. Like, why did you get into it at such an early age? Um, I'm not entirely sure what drew me to property, to be quite honest. Um, I just knew I, you know, I had to save money and I just knew long term that you can't save to wealth. I just intuitively knew. I'm not sure what it was. I wasn't really that educated or anything like that. It's just I knew that. I saved a bit of money. I needed to invest it somewhere. And I didn't really know much about stocks and stuff like that at the time. I knew a bit about property, but just really it was just a place to put my money. So I hope that it will grow. Yeah. So like, but like 21 is like most 21 year olds are like, you know, they're thinking about going to Europe for like a gap year or they're like getting an apprenticeship or they're just partying or even if they're like really academic and money orientated, they're they're not really thinking about investing. They're thinking about like hustling and getting up the career ladder. Did somewhat like, did your parents kind of inspire you into property or was it like, I don't know, a family friend or like, where did this idea come from? I think initially my parents did dabble in a little bit of property investing and developing just a little bit. Um, but um, they never really pushed me into property or anything investing wise. It just, you know, just work hard, save your money. And then when you and when you want or when you're ready, buy property. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought, you know what, I could feel it, I could see it. Um, I liked the look of it and I just brought a property at the time. 
Yeah, that's really cool. And so you're in Melbourne. Were you in Melbourne back then as well? Was it? Is it in Melbourne, the first one? Yeah, the first property is in uh, Caroline Springs, which is western suburbs of Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. And how did that, like, Caroline Springs would have been, like, it kind of in the middle of nowhere back then? I don't know if that's a fair statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like, um, it was an up-and-coming suburb, I would say. Yeah. It wasn't a low demographic by any means, like there's worse suburbs around. But it was it's not a great suburb as well, but especially back then. Right. And and how's it I don't know how closely you track your properties. Is it I mean, all of Melbourne has done really well as all of Australia, but what did you buy it for? Do you remember and do you know what it's worth at yeah. the moment? Yeah, sure. I, I really do like numbers, so I do remember the numbers quite <laughs> yeah. often. But um I did buy that property for three hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Okay. Um, and I had a deposit at the time for roughly about 65. 65. And so, like, sorry if this is too personal, but I, I know that as I ask these questions, the audience will be, like, you know, thinking of questions. So, like, where does a 21-year-old get? I don't I don't think I had 65,000 by myself at 21. Where, do you, where does a 21-year-old get that much money? Yeah, look, I, I really do just love to work, right? I mean, I remember my first day, my first job was 14 and nine months. It was at Red Rooster. Like yeah, I, nice. whenever I could get money, I would work. It, it didn't really matter. I've done dishwashing. I've done, you know, truck washing, whatever you have done it. But, um, it didn't really matter to me. I knew what I needed to do was accumulate enough money for a house deposit as soon as possible. So from, yeah, 14, nine months to 21, which is what it took me. Right. And you're still, you're still hustling because before you were telling me how you're a gym owner you're a warehouse manager and you're also a dog breeder and of course your wife's a teacher so you got a lot a lot sort of going on right yeah yeah we're busy i like to keep busy i do yeah. like to keep busy i like to keep it fun and um different variables as well um and yeah just keep on hustling and grinding and see what we're capable of yeah sweet sweet and so the first property cool you got it um most people kind of tap out after the first one i think the stats you probably know as well as i do 70% or someone something like that people don't get past the first property what kind of made you get to the next one did you did you smell like there was something in this for the long term or like what what next yeah so when i did buy that property at 21 um initially i think about 6 months later it did have a bit of growth so i did go back to the bank and see if i could refinance or see some like and buy another property Mm -hmm. um and they said look you can and i didn't i didn't buy another property for a good four years oh no way <laughs> i didn't buy my second property until i was 25 years old right right um which was a bit of a shame because if i knew now what i knew then kind of thing it would have been a much better process if i brought straight away because i was capable of but um just yeah education wasn't my thing back then so your first property you were 21 was that around 2000 13 yeah it was late 2013 13 so after a year the bank said yep you can get another one so that would have been around late 14 and correct. so i think if i'm correct the melbourne market was like still just going hell for leather so you would have made a lot of money if you hadn't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of sat on your um arms or, or hands so to speak yeah, i guess i just i knew what i needed to do i just didn't have the right path or education at the time and i wasn't clear with the vision what i kind of needed to do and if that was the right move and if it's Melbourne again or something like that. It was just a lot of confusion, a lot of uncles and aunties and parents saying, yeah, buy here, buy there. But you know what? In the end, I just didn't buy anywhere. So I just sat on my hands. 
Yeah, well, that's a really valuable lesson for all of us because there's so much noise out the well-meaning noise out there, and if it just contradicts each other, it creates such confusion, and then you end up like doing nothing sometimes, and obviously you regret it. But nonetheless, you powered through. So, what kind of got you to then consider your second property five years later? Well, then by that time, I probably had a little bit more savings again. I was in a position where, look, I had a bunch of savings, and again, I didn't know what to do with it. I could go spend it. I did enjoy my upbringing. Like I went parties and all, you know, did all that kind of stuff and traveled. But I still was a good saver and I was a hard worker. So I had a surplus amount of money. Yeah. So I thought I need to educate myself a little bit more and see where we're going to buy. So that's what I did. So I did do some education, just self-education, just um, in the property market. And again, I brought another property in um, in Melbourne, uh, in Melton, actually. Okay. And what were the numbers yeah. on that one? So that one there, we brought it for two thirty, sorry, two twenty-three. Okay. And whereabouts is that located? Like geograph- geographically, for yeah, those people who don't it's know, probably about forty kilometers from the CBD in the western yeah. suburbs again. Western suburbs. Okay. So now you've got two kind of in that west um, yep. area, and then and what did you do next? And then um, I was in a bit of a sticky position where I couldn't actually borrow anymore. So with my broker at the time, he's cross collateralized those two properties. Right. So I was a little bit stuck. So for probably 12 to 18 months, I actually sat on those two properties and just trying to find out situations where I could just move them or find a way to buy another property or two. Because by that time, I had a clear path where I wanted to buy a property. I wanted to buy a lot of property. Uh-huh. Just didn't and so I assume that wasn't like a conscious or intentional decision from you to cross collateralize those two properties it was just the broker kind of did it on their own whim or did you really want them to do that i didn't even know what cross collateralize mean meant back then um when when that happened i I just found out when i went to another broker and he kind of said well this is your situation and we kind of need to do this for you to accumulate another property right right so for those of you who don't know, cross-collateralization means where you basically use the first property as collateral or security um, for the debt or for the mortgage or for the loan for the second property. And what can happen is if you continue to do that, it becomes a bit of a house of cards. If one property doesn't perform or drops in value, of course, it shouldn't really happen over the long term. But if something tragic happens then the bank is actually able to access all of your properties. So it's different from just having all of your properties with the same bank. You can actually have five properties with the same bank, which I did at one point, all not cross-collateralized. Um, but it's a, you know, oftentimes brokers, especially if they're not sort of investment savvy, right, Frank, they don't really care right. about this sort of stuff. And they're like, oh, whatever's going to make it easier to write the loan at the time. And so I think as property investors, we, we really need to be mindful. And did you use a mortgage broker for every property? And and if you did, like, did, did you intentionally from this point on use like an investment savvy broker or, or how did you get your lending? Yeah. So initially the first property was just with a CBA bank, just went straight to the bank. And then I had a friend's friend, broker, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I contacted him and he said, look, you can buy this property, but like, I didn't know about the cross collateralization, mm-hmm. but I went to him at the time. So then later on, um, again, I did some just you know, self-education and realized, hey, my properties are cross collateralized yeah. and I need to find a good broker where I can actually just find a situation or a path 
a clear path to where I can get myself out of this mm-hmm. and just conquer my goals. Cool. So that's what you did, I assume, and, and that's what yeah, and that's, led you and to your third? Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, that's what I did. I did find my broker, um, Michael Zah. Um, and again, look, it's just one of those things where I had a look at what he's done and I liked it. And I go, okay, this guy knows about property. Yeah. That's, this is what his bread and brother is. And just want to like mentor, get mentored basically by him. Yeah, he's a great guy for anyone who doesn't know. Oh, you know him, do you? Well. He's a, yeah, he's a fantastic. I think yeah. just as a human being as well, he's a, he's, he's awesome. He's, he's awesome. a solid he's person. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, okay, so, and then, so where did, where did you buy your third property and like what were the details of that? Sure. So um, by that time there, I had some equity in the Caroline Springs and the Melton property. So we extracted the equity from that and went to another bank with that money there and we brought in Queensland, Brisbane. Okay. So you're still in Melbourne. Did you buy like remotely, like sight unseen, or did you use a buyer's agent, or did you catch flights? T- talk me through that process. Yeah, so I brought the site unseen. I did a building and pest. Um, I got a real estate agent to go through. I got a property manager to go through, and just just knowledge of my broker as well, mm-hmm. which just guided and mentored me through the process of buying remotely mm-hmm. uh, was a lot more easier for me. Right. I didn't catch no flights. I didn't get no buyer's agent as well. Okay. And given that you had a connection with Michael, I would assume this is in the Logan area? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> in the Logan area, yeah. Okay. And it would have, like, this would have been, what, uh, 2021? Um, earlier, 2018. Oh, sorry. Okay, we're still way back then. Yeah. All right. I mean, so it would have been kind of flat in terms of performance for the next yeah. two or three years, but then the COVID boom, it went up like 50% or something, right? Yeah, so I was I brought two properties in Brisbane there, in uh-huh. Logan, one in Crestman, one in uh, Kingston. Okay. So I bought both of those for 280 280 Yeah, I mean, we were buying in, not myself personally, but clients were buying in Crestmead around 2021, early, I, I want to say, um, more for like low 300s. And yeah, yep. those, those have done really well we never bought in kingston um how was your experience and this is kind of hopefully educational because kingston is quite a lower socio-demographic suburb there are a lot of landlords there as well versus owner occupier properties and that's always kind of like the sticking point with me in terms of buying in some areas of course you might you know just evade all issues altogether or you could have a lot of issues with people trashing the place not paying rent you know etc cetera, etc cetera. what what's been your experience with tenants to date um look i've had the same tenant in the crestmead one since purchase mm-hmm. and they've been lovely so they've been really good to take good care of the property um and in terms of the kingston property you're right there is a difference in demographic even though they're not far apart from each other probably like five to ten minutes mm. so unfortunately yes you're right a lot of landlords so that means a lot of renters, and that means a lower demographic. But touch wood, um, I've had good tenants or good-ish tenants yeah. where they haven't really trashed the property too much. It could be a little bit like you have to kick them out because they haven't been pain or stuff like that. But, um, yeah, in terms of damage to the property, I've had good luck. But that also comes down to my property managers just vetting the, the applicants a lot more better and stuff like that. Yeah. And and how much, like, time do you actually spend on a, I don't know, monthly or, or yearly basis, like kind of dealing with property managers? Because, I mean, we haven't got to your fifth property yet, but yourself, you've got five. Um, is it like really time consuming because you're a pretty busy guy otherwise? Not really. No, not really. Um, the property managers know 
when they contact me, it must be something that's going to be valuable to my time, I guess. Yeah. Where a little nitty gritty stuff, they will just work out on my behalf, just because I've given them access and clear direction of what I kind of want. Sure, sure. Yeah. Awesome. So not to be honest, not really much time, if anything, probably a couple hours, um, maybe four to six hours a month looking at my properties. Yeah, so you got those two in Melbourne and then the two in, in Brisbane. And I think like a lot of people, Frank, I don't know if you heard it in your friends and stuff, but a lot of people are like, oh, hey, I don't want to buy somewhere that's really far away from me, like interstate or another city or town because I want to be able to drive past my property. I want to be able to touch it and feel it. I want to be able to like look at it if I want to. Um, you know, they're they're a bit concerned that property managers can take them for a ride in terms of maintenance costs if something goes wrong like plumbing or electricians or these sorts of people and they're like oh i could probably do a better job of just maintaining it myself it was in back if it was in my backyard so to speak yeah. um so like what are your thoughts on on like these types of points like, oh, like honestly speaking um look i look at property as a numbers game i guess it's it shouldn't be too emotionally invested Sure, there's a gut feel about certain properties, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, it's um, it's all numbers for me. If the numbers make sense, well, then it kind of makes sense to make that deal. But in terms of having problems with electricians and trades and all that kind of stuff, just get multiple quotes. I always get a lot of quotes, and that's probably where I spend my time mainly, just mm-hmm. getting more quotes, or I get the manager to get more quotes, and that way I can vet who's trying to take me for a ride and who isn't. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, so you've had fairly good experiences so far with those four properties where did you buy your fifth one uh then then i had probably one more to go just because of just lending issues and restrictions sure um, so i brought in Corio. so geelong Corio. correct oh good good choice and when was that that was in 2020 2020 so that how much did you buy that for and what was uh, the kind I of rent that for 400 um yeah. what was the second question sorry and what was the kind of rent that you're getting for that? Oh, yeah. The rent at the time was probably about 330 and I brought that for 400 So it was more of a neutral kind of uh, cash flow property back then. Now yeah. it's probably not. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I brought it for 400 That property there is probably worth, I don't know, 550 now or something. Yeah. And, and what is like, you know, as you speak about neutral or, you know, may not be neutral anymore, what are your thoughts? Because... A lot of people are like, oh, hey, lots of property investors have to sell their properties because they didn't see these interest rates um, coming, as in the interest rate rises. You've obviously been mostly in the market in the last, like, since 2018, like four of your properties yeah. were around since the last four or five years. Is it hurting? Like, are the interest rate rises really hurting for you? Because you're like officially, I don't know what the stats are, but you're like officially top 5% of property investors according to number of properties anyway in Australia. Are you like contemplating selling the properties or are they still kind of paying for themselves? Just talk me through that. Yeah, I kind of got I kind of got lucky. I wouldn't even call it lucky. I just I did it intentionally, I guess, where I had a couple of properties in the western suburbs where they were neutral, but then I went to Logan to get that passive, just positive passive cash flow. Yeah. And then I went back to a neutral pro- property. So I guess, look, at the moment, it's it's costing me money, but it isn't outweighing the 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 pros and cons of selling, for example. Um, I have no intention to sell just yet. If I did sell, then it would just be purposely to put the money somewhere else into another property or something like that. Right. So it's obviously had a return on investment. Do you, do you have a spreadsheet or do you know how many thousands of dollars it's 
costing you at a portfolio level? Like five properties is costing me yeah. $5,000 a year to hold. Or do you know yeah. anything like that? I think when you get a few properties, it's a good idea to make sure you know the numbers on mm-hmm. terms of how much it actually is costing you. And look, we did the numbers probably earlier this year. It was probably around the 25 to 30 K um, net uh, net negative. Wow. Um, but then you get some of the money back at, at tax time. So it kind of yeah. evened out. So yeah. I thought, you know, just if I'm, if it's cost me in the end $15,000 to hold the portfolio, which is growing at a rate of 7 to 10%, it's uh-huh. not a bad deal. And so how much do you think you have built equity in that portfolio? So like add up all of the purchase prices of the five properties versus the current valuation how much is it like one million two million three do you, do you have a sense sure, of i reckon we've probably got about 1.1 million dollars of equity into the properties mm-hmm. um yeah you know okay. the, the prof, uh, portfolio is probably seen about two and a half at the moment two and a half mil okay and about one one and a half million of equity correct okay so your LVR or your total debt ratio is what, like 50%-ish? Yeah, 55, I think we calculated it last time. Okay, interesting. That's just kind of thinking out loud. I'm kind of surprised that it's costing you around $20,000, $25,000 a year to hold, to be honest, because... Uh, it, it, it wasn't, and then now it's actually turned over to principal and interest. Oh, that's the reason. Which, which okay. is, I have the opportunity to just go back to interest only. I, some of them I do, some of them don't. But um, I don't mind. Look, we have to pay them down at some point. So we are paying them down at this point, yeah. Right. And is that is that your strategy, just kind of forever now pay P&I to then ultimately in the future own them outright? Um, not really. I, I, I want to sell one or two to then pay down some of that debt and then there'll be more more cash flow coming in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, what we want to do is maybe sell one or two properties just to get a bigger PPOR. Mm-hmm. But that's probably the goal at the moment, just focusing on the next next bigger property for our forever home. Got it, got it. So you're actually rent vesting at this whole time? Uh, no, we're, we're staying at Elisa's, my wife's um, property. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So maybe let's just touch on her property. So I think you're saying that she has two. Is is the one that you're living in the first one or is that over on top of the other two investments? Yeah, so the one that we're currently living in is in also western suburbs of Melbourne, um, okay. Antry. It was off a plan property, so it's a little townhouse, a cute little townhouse in Antry. Right, right. Um, and she brought that before she was with me, so um, it's got some equity and all that kind of stuff in there. Fantastic. And then did you kind of inspire her to <laughs> to get her like second investment property? Is that how it yeah, went? Yeah, well, look, she did, she did really well, to be honest. She brought that at 20 or 21. Um, and then again, she was in a similar situation with, like I was, and she goes, "I've got a, I've got a bunch of savings. Yeah. I just don't know what to do with it." Yeah. And I, at the time, couldn't borrow no more, so I'm like, "I know exactly what to do with it." <laughs> so we and have a property. And she listened um, to you. <laughs> yeah, no, she's she's very very good like that. Look, look, she's seen my track record. She's seen how little success I've had with my property in that. So she goes, yeah. "You know what? Look, you kind of know what you're doing there. Yeah. Um, what should I do? Mentor me through it." Um, so that's what we did. So we bought a property in Perth. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, I'm keen to hear. Like, where did you buy? What did you buy it for? Yeah. So we brought in Perth uh, in the Mandurah Estate. Uh, it's called Greenfields. Yep. I know the suburb very well. And was yep. that recently? Uh, that was in 2021. Oh, perfect. Perfect timing. Like that was, I feel that was quite, er- you know, quite early for Perth almost. Like I feel 
that a lot of people based on Facebook groups or YouTube or whatever have got into Perth like in 2022 late or mid and then obviously in 2023 right now the market is doing really well. So you were kind of almost ahead of the pack. What kind of gave you that foresight to jump all the way to the other side of Australia as opposed to just like add more in Queensland or closer to where you live in, in Melbourne as in, in Adelaide and, and just on the south side of Australia? Why go all the way to Perth? Yeah, because I've seen a similar, I guess, a similar model of what happened to Logan. Mm -hmm. It was low demographic, didn't grow for a very, very long time, but it was high yielding. Like these properties were renting out 500 per week for a four better at 300K. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, even if it doesn't grow, at least we still got the yield. So at least at least the cash flow is really, really good. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. And and how much has that gone up in the last couple of years? Uh in within the two years, I think it's gone up to about four eighty. And we brought it for four so we bought it for three forty. Three forty. Okay, so one hundred and forty thousand dollars of growth. That's about what, thirty percent ish, something like yeah. that. That's yeah. that's pretty yeah. decent. And it's cash flow in like between five to ten K per year. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. Good. And that's like during the time when interest rates have gone up. So this is like counter cyclical. Um, fantastic. I think that is that probably your best deal out of all of them? Uh, I'll, <laughs> look, I'll, if I had five of those, that'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. You and me both. Um, no, that, that's amazing. And so like what structures have you, have you bought these properties? Is it all under your name or trusts or like, have you gone about that? No, we just went nice and simple. Like I bought the properties under my name and she brought the properties under her name. Yeah, just really nice and simple. I don't know too much about in terms of tax um, pros and cons in buying in companies and trusts and stuff like that. Uh -huh. um, I just never went into it. So I thought, you know what, the simplest way, um, just buying in your own name for the moment. Yeah, sweet. And so you've been in like in our Facebook group for a while, I think now you probably, I don't know how much, how much time you spend looking at other people's questions or even posting your own questions. You kind of probably have a sense though, right, of like what people struggle with the most or the types of questions people ask in the Facebook group. Um, and a lot of times, do you have, um, I don't know, like some advice or multiple pieces of, of advice for, for folks who are like, um, Hey, you know, I want to achieve similar types of results, but maybe even better having learned off Frank now, um, what kind of advice could you, could you give to folks? Yeah, I do see a lot of questions and that. I think most of them are regarding uh, just how much you can borrow and what properties you should buy. Mm -hmm. And I think you got to start with a goal and the goal is going to be situated which properties are the best for that goal. There's no point just what – look, the first couple of properties I brought was just a, pretty much just a wing-in kind of purchase. Yeah. Then later on it was strategic. So I think if you start from the start where you have good education, a good path, a clear path, direction and then have the best help possible where you've got the best broker or the best broker for you at least um a good accountant i think a good accountant makes sense as well mm -hmm. and just a good community to help you around yeah no that's cool and i just want to be clear as well like frank is not a client of mine like this is just an honest uh conversation i just want to pick up on the um your ability or practical implementation methods to buy in perth just so anyone can follow if they want to um, was it the same thing? Like you just got a few property managers to inspect the home and Bob's your uncle kind of thing? Or was there more yeah. to it? Yeah, so we inspected a few properties. Um, at that time, I could tell the market was heating up or was going to heat up a little bit. Um, yeah. Just like a 
like a quick little indication. A lot of the properties that were new on the you know realestate.com was going under offer really quick. Mm-hmm. So I knew, okay, it's coming. Um, the yield's there. The population's coming. The demand's there. So, okay, okay, now it's going to start hitting up. So, um, yeah, and it's just the same model. Just getting a few real estate agents in, managers in. I did the building and pest. The numbers made sense, and we just purchased. And how are you able to build trust in in the agents or the property managers that they're actually telling you the right thing like maybe there's a massive hole in the wall or maybe it's like a really old property but they're just kind of making a story so that that you'll buy it and then they get the property management for the next 10 years or yeah. they make the sale like how did you overcome i don't know if that stuff goes through your head a lot or, or not but how did you overcome that yeah, for sure. I, I really actually I stay away from the real estate agent. I, mm-hmm. I actually go to the manager. So if I have a particular person I want the, the property to be managed by, I rather send them in. They do a full video for me throughout the whole house, literally every single room, every single nook and cranny. Yeah. And um and then they give me a full like just detail, I guess, explanation of what the property is. And then at, at the end of the day, they wouldn't like advise me to buy a ship property because they're gonna be managing it. Yeah, they they know what the property is going to expect. They know that they're going to be causing headaches anyway if they do advise me to buy it. So most of the time they are quite honest. Um, not so much real estate agents unless mm-hmm. you really got, got a good relationship with them. Yeah. But more so the managers. I, I believe I rely on the managers more. Right. This is a really interesting story because it's like it's it was almost like a false start. Like you kind of did really well actually in your first property, but then you kind of didn't get into second or third gear for a while um do you did you ever think about and like this is not a loaded question like please be honest here but did you ever think about for your second or third or fourth or fifth property or even for your wife's properties like hiring a buyer's agent and like just being like okay maybe they can do a better job than me you know how they always say oh even if we just negotiate ten thousand twenty thousand dollars better than we pay for our fees like did you ever contemplate that and like why did you end up never really using a buyer's agent yeah that's a good question I, I just don't believe that that I could um, – I guess with the experience that I have, it's just like I'd rather just do it myself. That way they, I know I can do it again mm-hmm. and just rinse and repeat. If I tell someone to do do the work, then I can't really rinse and repeat that with a, a unless I'm paying big money. You yeah. pay 15 to 20K each time, it just it doesn't make sense if you're buying a lot of property. Right. No, that absolutely makes sense. That's very logical. Um, obviously I, 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 everyone knows I'm not against buyers agents, but I genuinely think most of them just do a really lousy job and the client doesn't actually know that it's a lousy job until years and years later. But, um, it's good to just hear from someone who has no sort of skin in the game, just honest advice and honest thoughts on, on yeah, that. I, I just rather, you know, you get educated, um, and that way that you can just rinse and repeat. And at least like, at least I have the control where, you know, I made the mistake, not someone else made the mistake yeah. and I blame everything on them. It's just one of the things where I, you know, I did this. It was either good or bad, either way, I did this. Yeah, it's a good feel, especially if you do actually do a good job. Like you you did, you you. you got a lot of self-education, right? Like you didn't do my course or anything like that, but from, I assume, diverse sources, you actually figured out um, at least enough to be able to take action. And and that's really, I think, the the main thing. It's like not trying to perfect something. It's just taking the next step. Because if you just keep taking the next step, the next step, the next step, you land yourself at 31 years of age with like seven <laughs> properties between yourself and your wife. And and that's more than like what 
98% of Australians or something. So I think that's yeah. something. Look, to it's obviously, of. as you will know, you've, you've got property. It's not always an easy path. Like I've had a garage burnt down. Yeah, oh, just, well. <laughs> there's a couple <laughs> little bumps and coolies, but I mean, that's part of the game and just making sure that you're organized and prepared for those kind of stuff. Um, I guess it's just, you know, you just, that's what you got to do. It's just part of the game. That wasn't the Kingston one, was it? No, it was actually the Crestmead one. Oh, really? But it was completely accidental. Um, the tenant burnt down the property accidentally. Uh, oh, no. But it was okay. Look, I had insurance, so it's okay. Oh, okay. That was actually one of the scariest bits. Just Jeez. making sure that I did pay for the insurance. Okay. <laughs> so, like, so you bought your build. This is actually probably good to cover this. So you bought building insurance and landlord insurance, I assume. Um, like, who do you insure with? Um, at the time, it was EDM. But now I've just got all my properties under Suncorp just because the app and all that kind of stuff, just a little bit easier to keep track. Right. And did you find that that process was like getting the claim done was simple with EDM or, or like, was I, it- look, I reckon they were pretty good at the time. Um, because again, I'm remote, like I'm in Melbourne. I didn't go to the property. I didn't go to Queensland. They make sure that they're doing the fence, right. Doing the garage, right. I just yeah. relied on tradespeople. I just relied on my manager. I just relied on getting lots of quotes, lots of video, lots of images. Right. And again, that, that's probably the most stressful part of the whole property journey that I've had, just making sure that that is operating and no one's trying to rip me. I just make sure the insurance is doing what it needs to do. Right. So right. yeah, And even, even through that process of having to rebuild that part of that house, I assume, like you still didn't actually visit it in, in person? No, nah, nah. <laughs> I actually took the whole construct like on my hands rather than the insurance doing it. So I said, I'd rather than just a payout and I'll go take care of all the trades. Okay. Just because they'll take them too long and a couple of things. I'm just like, I'd rather just get it all done. I know that I can do it from here remotely yeah. with the contacts I've already got there. Right. Well, that, that kind of settles it because that's basically the worst thing that can happen to your house, right? Either it gets <laughs> completely flooded or it burns down and... And the fact that you still, I mean, to be honest with you, if I'm completely frank, I would have actually visited the property just for like emotional release. <laughs> yeah. This is my investment. But just, I mean, that settles it. You still didn't fly. So that just kind of proves that you you can buy anywhere in Australia following the data and you don't actually need to be there, whether it's a purchase, whether it's duration of the property or whether it's for if and when you sell that property. That's a really cool. I think just having good contacts there with people that you can, can trust and even the tenants were really, really good about it. So even though they did it, they were really good <laughs> on um, helping me restore that. And you obviously, did you keep them on after that? Yeah, it was ac- completely accidental. Um, yeah. He makes dog beds and unfortunately just one of the, the soldering iron fell on one of the dog beds and these oh. things happen. Okay. But hey, I got a new garage from it and no one will hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and so like maybe just a couple of last questions, Frank. Um, obviously interest rates have risen a lot and maybe they'll r- rise again, again, maybe once or twice or something like that. Nonetheless, um, there's talks of recessions. You know, there's always talks of recessions, to be honest. There's talks of cost of living going up and it continuing to go up. There's always kind of macroeconomic headwinds that us investors have to face, especially because the media kind of blows them out of proportion. Does that affect you or, or how do you approach that when you're sitting on millions of dollars of debt? Yeah, I think it's really, really easy to get stuck within, within the noise. Um, there's a lot of noise and someone that wasn't really that educated or didn't have much of an idea would be very, very confused at this point. Look, everyone knows interest rates go up yeah. and interest rates go down. It's just how long are they going to stay up for? 
and no one has a crystal ball, but if you can look at the long term of your goal, five to 10 years you're in property at least, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Property is very forgiving. Like it's a very forgiving kind of vehicle that we use. Right, right. No, that, that's really well said. It is forgiving. I mean, even if you make tragic errors in the first one or two years, which you shouldn't, because like you said, yeah. you should get some self-education over a 20, 10, 15, 20-year period. It, it kind of just comes out in the wash anyway. Um, and so what is your like kind of long-term plan? I, I know you did say you wanted to upgrade and buy, build a, a bigger house to, to live in. Um, maybe 10, 20 years from now, are you going to plan to continue to increase the portfolio or like why are you doing all this in the first place yeah it's a good question as well look i chose property i guess now looking back just because it has a really good way to leverage your money where you can refinance just stuff like that well where if you put in the stock market i couldn't really do that Mm -hmm. um so i'll continue to use property as my vehicle um just because of the leverage because i don't have a, a huge wage so it's a really good leveraging tool which mm-hmm. is why I like it most. Nice. So, yeah, I believe in the next 10 to 15 years, I'll still be <laughs> accumulating properties. I'll still be um, using property as probably the, one of the main vehicles as wealth. And yeah, I don't see why not. I don't see why not. We're going to have ups and downs in property. But I believe no one or I haven't heard anyone say, I wish I, sh- I sold that property 20 years ago yeah. or anything like that. So, um, yeah, in 20, 30 years, you still see me buying property. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's really inspirational, actually, because it just goes to show that, you know, you you don't like you don't actually need to pay professionals to get a great outcome. You don't actually need to do my course to to actually just get on the ladder. Like, you, of course, m- you might have been in a different position had you done the course. I wasn't around doing the course back when you started anyway. <laughs> but I think like the the key thing that I take away is just self-education it's so important i think there was a almost like a direct correlation in the results that you were achieving um in in proportion to like how educated you were becoming right because with michael and doing all that education around 2018 you got into logan at about the right time and then perth was like just bang on right timing so i think that that's that's a really big takeaway that i've taken away yeah thanks pk yeah exactly no you should be really proud and um and guys, uh, hopefully this has brought you value. Like I said, there's so many amazing, amazing investors, many much more successful than myself in our Facebook group. And Frank is just one of them. And I, like I said, I, I posted on there and I asked, does anyone want to just share their real stories? And Frank very kindly put his hand up. So hopefully that's kind of just, you know, I always say you can't be what you can't see. So when you see or at least hear the experiences of folks like Frank, you can be like, oh, yeah, I, I'm a teacher or or I'm a dog breeder <laughs> or, or I'm a gym owner or whatever. I don't earn a huge income. I live in Melbourne or Sydney or wherever, but things are just too expensive here. Actually, there is a path for me. Like there is a way that I can get ahead. It's not going to happen in six months or two years, may, may not even happen in five years, but with property as a key, I guess, lucrative avenue to create wealth in Australia, which we're very lucky to have, by the way, in 10 years and 15 years, I can buy my dream home or I can look to supplement my income so I don't have to work so hard. So it's just uh, awesome to hear just real like on the ground grassroots um, journeys like like yourself, Frank, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone. And please do join the Facebook group. You can interact with and engage with folks like Frank. It's called Australian Property Mastery with PK. And um, I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks again, Frank. No worries, mate.